I had a really hard time choosing because there's so many offenses that I've been impressed with. But I think the theme of balance and efficiency really won the day. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Don't want Bunch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. Welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We're fired up to be here, fired up to be back with you guys. It feels like it's been forever since the three of us have had a chance to sit down and talk offensive football. There's been a lot of busyness going on in the middle of the season, obviously, with the high school team. We're all we're all dads as well, trying to keep up with uh, sick kids and schedules and all that. So it's uh, it's good to be back, man. Good to be back tonight. We're fired up. Um, and we have a very special episode that I'm really excited about. We went through and we drafted our top play callers up until this point in the season, both college and NFL. So we had a draft. Jake came out on top in draft order. So he got the first pick of the draft of the Play Callers Club Play Caller Draft. So Jake, with the very first pick of the first annual midseason Play Callers Club Play Caller Draft, who you got? This is a special one. We've got, you know, a couple for a couple reasons. Um, one, the play caller is a former Texas high school football coach. You gotta love it. Which is big. Uh, number two, got a top ten team in the country, currently undefeated. And number three, they've got the game of the week this week. And they sure do. If you haven't figured it out by now, it is the Oregon Ducks and Coach Will Stein. So, Dan, I I picked Oregon. And then after that, you sent me that Oregon was number one in advanced analytics offensive efficiency. I'm going to lean on you real quick. Describe that to me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so um, shout out to my guy, Parker Fleming, uh, Stats of War on Twitter. He works uh, on a website that analyzes EPA, which is expected points added for every play. So basically, you know, your efficiency is judged on, it's not just stats, right? It's not like, oh, we had a 10-yard gain here. It was the efficiency of the play. So, again, I, I don't know all the details of it. I'm still kind of learning it a little bit. But it takes into consideration uh, the state of the game. So, like, for example, a three-yard gain on third and two would be a highly efficient play, obviously. And so what these stats are designed to do, I guess, is kind of break down how efficient an offense is. Uh, compared to the the situation of the game they're playing because it's easy to run up stats when you're playing a bad team whatever whatever the case may be um, but yeah Oregon came out number one number one in overall efficiency if you want to check out kind of the complete list it's cfb-graphs.com and a lot of times when I go study an offense I'll kind of check for efficiency before I take too much time studying the film so it's kind of a little cheat sheet for me um, and uh, ironically enough, we didn't we didn't check this beforehand, but all three of our coordinators that we selected were top ten overall in uh, offensive efficiency. Expected points added is kind of the 
the metric, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, Oregon came out number one. They are rolling. Um, and I guess the uh, overall expected points added for um, for each play is like point. I think it's like point six or something like that. So it's like point six points every for every play. So again, I don't know all the details of it, but they are they are uh, analytically the most efficient offense in college football right now. I love it. Well, the Jake Hubenak <laughs> brain of analytics went by my three favorite categories to test to test efficiency, and I'm a real. These are three things that I'm extremely passionate about as a former coach, former quarterback, um, and also a dad that doesn't have enough time to go dive in on every single um, analytic possible. So my three stats that I was looking at when I kind of compared certain offenses um, that I wanted to, I don't know, kind of choose between were third down percentage, red zone percentage, Mm -hmm. and turnovers. And to me, that like those three categories right there, I think, you know, any offensive coordinator, those are going to be big, you know, on your on your offensive goal boards or whatever. And so to me, I think those three things, you know, really describe efficiency. And so Oregon is 10th in the country and third down percentage. They're 35th in the country and red zone percentage. But I don't think that really tells the whole story because, you know, the the graph or whatever that I was looking at was, you know, that's including field goals. And out of like, you know, the top 35 teams, Oregon had kicked like the least amount of field goals and scored kind of higher up in the most amount of touchdowns. And then you got some of these teams on the list that like, you know, Oregon's made it into the red zone 28 times. And some of these teams have made it into the red zone like 10 times. So it's a little skewed when you're talking about red zone, but they've scored 21 out of 28 touchdowns when they've been in the red zone. I think they've kicked four times. There's only been three times that they've been in the red zone and haven't scored. So really when you're kind of comparing against the other top teams, I'd probably say they're more of like a top five or top 10 red zone team. And then turnovers, which is extremely impressive. They've had one turnover the entire year. So they're first in the country when it comes to turnovers. I think Bonex do like one pick against Colorado in that game and you know that blowout I think just one time corner dropped under um just a little zone read reading the corner corner kind of read his eyes and got a pick on him but besides that they've been you know extremely good taking care of the ball um so just when I kind of did my rankings combining those three categories with you know probably top 15 top 20 teams in the country um Oregon's who came out on top for me um, and I've got five keys that really impress me with Oregon. It's great balance, efficiency, similar plays, different presentation, extra mm-hmm. dimensions, and then breaking tendency. So just kind of going one by one. Great balance. They've got 184 pass attempts and 161 rush attempts on the season. So love that. You really, you know, you really don't know what you're going to get from them. Um, I'll kind of dive into some of the other points a little bit later, but then efficiency. And and in terms of the pass game, they're completing like 80% of their passes. Hey, getting there. Sorry, sorry. Go for it. (laughs) Efficiency, 81% completion. There it is. There it is. And, you know, you can look at that and you can say, you know, that's kind of like the Dak Prescott discussion of, late it's like oh Dak's completing a higher percentage of his passes well you know he's throwing checkdowns every play so it's a lot easier to 
you know, your completion percentage would go up. I'm like, okay, let's go dive in a little bit more. Well, he's 20, Bo Nix is 22nd in yards per attempt. So it's not like Oof. he's, you know, just checking the ball down every play. They're, they're taking shots. They're pushing the ball down the field. Now, obviously, Oregon's got good playmakers. They can kind of dink and dunk every once in a while, and you'll get a guy, you know, out in space, go make a play. But by no means are, are they just throwing, you know, five to 10 yard passes oh, no, for sure. the ball, um, down the field. And then, Sticking with efficiency, their top three rushers are rushing for 7.9, 8.7, and 7.3 yards per carry. So all seven-plus yards per carry, and then you're throwing for, like, nine yards per attempt. So, I mean, combine the two, you're, you're almost getting a first down pretty much every play. Every play. So extremely efficient on offense. Um, and then similar plays in different presentation. That's something for me that if I'm designing an offense, I love, you know, because the kids hear the same terminology when it comes to the play. And then it's just, okay, we're just giving the defense a little bit different look. So from a defensive side, it's, you know, I'm having to look at, oh, a different formation. You know, I might have a switch release on this one as opposed to just a normal release. And so to a defense, it looks different, but to an offense, it's, you know, you're, it's all the same terminology. And so I kind of went back to that Texas Tech game. I didn't, you know, I can't remember. I think they played Portland State like week one, put like 81 on them. It's like, I'm not even going to watch the film from that game. That doesn't count. <laughs> so I went to that Tech game and their first two touchdowns, they ran empty orbit mesh rail. So they had ran mesh rail a couple different times in the game, but I think it was their second touchdown of the game. So it was like third and goal from like the 12. You know, you got mesh, you're running, you know, three-yard crossers. You're like, oh, that's probably going to get tackled. But because they ran the orbit motion, they kind of got two guys end up chasing, and then one guy gets lost. One guy ends up running with the rail. So then you get man-to-man on the mesh. One guy gets picked, and then you hit the guy for a three-yard route, you know, run after catch, goes and scores a touchdown. And then, I mean, their first – yeah, I think they ended up scoring on this play. First touchdown, I mean, they just ran twins – with a little jet motion, faked, you know, faked the jet, got the running back out of the backfield and then ran four verts out of it. And, you know, they, um, tech rolls the safety down into the box, trying to jump the jet motion. You get one high coverage. He's going to read, you know, single receiver to seams pretty much. And because the X receiver ends up winning, he just takes the X. It's one high safety. Throws a deep ball touchdown. And, you know, they had ran that jet motion a couple times with zone, counter. They gave the toss a couple times. And so when you're just giving that same look over and over and over, but with, you know, you can throw a different play behind it. You can throw a different present or, you know, kind of different presentation to it. Um, and then, you know, bunch sets, double stacks, empty, FIB, unbalanced. They're just giving you so many different looks. Um, and then they're, you know, varying tempos. It's like sometimes they'll kind of slow it down and then all of a sudden they'll get a first down and they'll speed up on you. And so they're just kind of, you know, they're keeping the defense guessing the entire game. And then, you know, I talk about dash all the time. Dash is one of my Love favorites. It. It's kind of one that we've got to explain. And, but I like the way they've, they've done it because the way I always did it was we were using the running back to kind of pin, um, the defensive end, but they'll, you know, they'll kind of give you a trips look with, a reduced split by the tight end and they'll have like the back on the opposite side. And then, you know, quarterback will give us a little pump fake or a little token fake to the running back. And then the running back's actually going across kind of freezing yep. that DN. And then the tight end is the one that's blocking down, um, 
on the D end. And sometimes they'll actually have him kind of block down and then, you know, slip back out into the flat, which I think is really good because after you've pretty much blocked down that defensive end, once the quarterback out leverages on you're you know, it's kind of like, you know, any sort of boot, you, you know, the quarterbacks, you know, especially like a guy like Bo Nix, that's mobile. He's going to be able to get outside the pocket. And if he needs to run, he can run. So they do a really good job with dash. And then sometimes they'll actually motion, you know, they'll have the tight end in like the sniffer position. They'll motion him across, give it, you know, make you think inside zone, power, whatever we're going to run. And then now you're just pinning him down. Same thing. You're getting that dash kind of sprint out concept. So I like the way they do that a lot. And then I think it was when they played Stanford. Um, you know, we've been talking about how USC has been putting more receiver skill type guys in the backfield, you know, kind of yep. at that fullback sniffer position. Well, they did the same thing. Um, against Stanford and I mean they just ran inside zone with a little arrow by the receiver they tempoed into it and it was funny because you could see Stanford you know a well-prepared defense but you use that against the defense they've got four guys pointing at that receiver in the backfield and what happens they run inside zone all four guys run with that arrow or you freeze a linebacker and now you go block five for four on the front side easy touchdown for the running back so just kind of I really like the simplicity from an offense per, from an offensive perspective, it's so simple. But from a defensive perspective, you're just having to think about so many different things at so many different tempos. And I really think they're keeping defenses off balance. And then extra dimension, their running back, I can't remember which one it was because they've got so freaking many of them. Um, but their main running back is tied for second most catches on the team. I think he's got like 18 catches. And I think they've got like eight guys on their team that have like 10 plus catches. So they're really, you know, getting the ball out to a bunch of different guys. But I like that they're using their running back out of the backfield. And I think in this day and age, high school football, college football, NFL, if you're not using the running back out of the backfield as a receiver and as a weapon, you're you're wasting a guy. For it's sure. Just like yeah. how, and that's kind of, you know, my next one in the extra dimension is the quarterback in the run game. They don't. I think Bo Nix has only ran the ball like 20 times this year or something like that. And a couple of them have been scrambles, but they really do a good job. And and because they know how important he is to their offense and he's not like a game breaker type guy that you want to go run 10 to 12 times a game where you're like, oh, he might go bust one for 80 yards. But, you know, on third and fives or third and sevens, you know, they'll go motion and, you know, run like a QB counter or a QB draw or whatever, just to keep the defense a little bit off balance because they're thinking, okay, you know, passing situation here, and then all of a sudden, you know, Bo Nix is going, he'll go pick up eight or ten for you. Um, yeah, and then my very last one's breaking tendency, and just kind of like I talked about, they'll it'll be third and 12, and they'll, they'll run the ball and go get a first down because they trust their line, or it'll be, you know, second and two, and they're taking a deep shot, which isn't that far out of the realm of things to do, but I just think they're, you know, kind of like how we've talked about with Mike McDaniel a couple times, going against what the defense is going to think you're going to do, right. what just everyone in their brain is so good. Oh, it's second and short. Let's just go get the first downs. Like, no, the defense is going to play, you know, to try to get you in third and a little bit longer. Why not go take that deep shot? Or if it's third and 12 and defense is in, you know, they're rushing three and dropping eight. Okay, let's let's run a draw. Let's run inside zone. Let's you know, go, go push for either fourth and short, or let's go get us a first down. And I, I think Will Stein's just doing a really good job. Um, 
And, you know, back to talking about that big game against Washington this week, I, I think the difference kind of between them and Washington so far is they've kind of been in the fire a little bit more. I think Washington hasn't been as tested as Oregon has. I think when you talk about three games for Oregon so far, they played Tech at Tech, which, you know, Tech isn't like the biggest atmosphere, but it's a rowdy atmosphere. And it's, right. you know, they're coming off, they played Portland State week once. So they really weren't tested that week. And, you know, down, I think, nine points going into the fourth quarter, and, and they just never blinked. They moved the ball up and down the field at will and were able to score a couple times at the end of that game. Then there's the Colorado game, which you're just talking about, you know, an all-time high of emotion with, you know, everybody saw the Dan Landing speech. Then you've got, you know, um, you know, Deion Sanders coming into town. There's all the chit chat of, you know, all that going on. And you just, their offense just, I mean, a machine that game just completely. Yeah. On. I hardly even watched that game because, you know, to me, they just weren't really tested that game. And once again, we talked about this before. It's not like that really had as much to do with Colorado as I thought it had to do with, you know, Oregon just being really good. But it, it just, everything seemed so easy for them that game. And then that Stanford game, they kind of struggled a little bit in the first half. And you're like, are they just kind of going to sleepwalk through this game? And then the second half, they just, I mean, they turned it on. They're like, this is who we really are. You know, that was a bad first half. You know, this is, this is an Oregon offense. This is what we're going to do. And so my Jake's takes are terrible. They suck. <laughs> but early prediction, I'm going to go Oregon over Washington in the game of the week. This Man, week. that's a. That's a big call. Washington's obviously rolling. I mean, he, I think we so easily could have. Very sorry to Oregon. That I'm doing this. <laughs> you can go either way. You can go either way. Yeah, you're uh, you're throwing <laughs> them under the bus here. I mean, you easily could have picked Ryan Grubb, you know, as as your first overall pick. I mean, he's he's obviously lighting it up, and we've we've talked we've talked about him a lot, obviously. And and spoiler alert, he was not selected in the in this this mid season draft, but there's still there's still time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Bo Nix, like Jake, to your point of, you know, presenting complexity to the defense, but actually just kind of giving a lot of the same plays with a lot of looks. I think one of the way, one of the reasons you're able to do that as an offensive coordinator is because you have a quarterback mm -hmm. who is a field general yep. and is able to get guys lined up. And I know, you know, from, from experience that, when I've had younger quarterbacks trying to do a lot of pre-snap movement and getting in different formations, even if we were running the base plays was very challenging because it required a lot of communication and it required that player to know what all 11 guys were doing. And I think the fact that Bo Nix is a mature senior who has taken command, it's not easy to be with a first uh, be in year one with a coordinator. Yep. Even if they're doing some similar stuff, like Kenny Dillingham, is is probably is probably different than uh, than Will Stein. You know, I would imagine there's differences in terminology, and you know, some of what Kenny's doing carries over, and some maybe they, they they're not necessarily doing the same stuff anymore. But the fact that they've been as well oiled as they've been in year one with a coordinator, I think speaks well of Bo Nix. But also, it seems like there's a it, there, there's a very collaborative environment there between Bo Nix and Will Stein. And then the other, the other piece here, um, not to ramble too much, but the other piece is Jake, you'd mentioned that like 
they'll run the ball on third and 10. And I think a big reason for that is your head coach, Dan Lanning, is saying, hey, we're going to be aggressive for down territory. So, you know, go ahead on third and 10. And and even if you get six, we'll go for it on fourth and four. Get eight, we'll go for it on fourth and two. And I think just having access to the entire playbook and really being in more four down territory situations with an aggressive head coach really helps a play caller. Because if you feel like you're constantly in potentially three and out situations, you know, you, you kind of try to, you, you, those third downs, especially third and longs, you're trying to get everything every time. And uh, there's just not that many third and long plays that you like. So I think uh, there's a lot of pieces leading to Oregon success, but I would imagine the relationship between Will Stein and Dan Lanning and the trust there to get in the right plays certainly factors in there for sure. Rashad, you got a wild card for us. The second overall pick in the play caller draft. Uh, I do. Yeah, I wanted to go wanted to go off, off the wall of this one. Um, one thing you're going to notice, uh, listeners, is that all of our coaches have very balanced attacks. So it was like funny hearing Jake's uh, stats about like red zone and third downs and um, uh, just the different, you know, saber metrics he was using. Um, my pick may have better stats than them. So I guess we'll see, you know. All right. So second overall pick of the midseason college play callers draft i chose toledo football led by toledo. led by mike mike hallett and our coach robert reiner mike hallett is all the, the co-oc situation going on and uh mike hallett's the pride of orville ohio he's a former d3 college coach um he's the oc at uh he's the oc slash lineman uh o-line coach at uh toledo they have coach wiener um he is a he's the pride of south tampa he won four state championships at, at Plant High School. He was there for about 16 years. They had over 130-plus wins when he was there. He coached Aaron Murray, Robert Marr, Jordan McLeod, Philip Eli, and Tucker Leeson. So this guy knows quarterbacks. So speaking of quarterbacks, um, Toledo's led by Daquan Finn. He was a second-team QB for all-Matt QB back in, 2020, back in 2022. Most likely he'll be first-team this year. Um, he currently has 16 touchdowns, 12 passing, four rushing, and he's the, he's the the engine of the offense. And what this team does very well is they are a very balanced attack. Like right now, they're number six in the nation with rushing. Um, they do a pretty good job of getting first downs. They're pretty they're pretty balanced on first downs. So they currently currently have um, I can't look for up oh, there is <laughs> they currently have 64 passing touchdowns, 60, 66 rushing touchdowns. I'm not talking about 64 passing first down, 66 rushing first downs. And there's really balanced attacks, right? So um, you know, on third down, they're probably they're number eight in the nation, third third down third down completion rate. Um, very balanced on uh, very, very efficient in the red zone. They have 25 touchdowns and 29 red zone visits, and these have three field goals. So 28 at 29 times, they lead the red zone with points. So they're just very, once again, we keep saying balance, balance, balance. So what they do well is they line up in 12 or 11 personnel. And what I found pretty fun watching them over the past few days was a few times in Northern Illinois game, they'll go, they'll go empty and they'll have 12 personnel. And it's like first and 10, and they'll do four vert concepts, but they'll have a delayed QB draw. So instead of, you know, they'll have, they'll have like their, the seams, you know, 
wide open and a quarterback he'll be a design qb draw and um that's kind of you know kind of out of character most teams right usually in first and ten if they're empty they're going to deep doing stick concepts or why crawls like that but they're like hey we're gonna do a draw usually you see draws usually like in third third down situations but they do it first down right away and both times i saw a northern illinois game in which it looks success for them um run game wise they have a running back uh he has seven rushing seven touchdowns averages about 7.6 yards a carry um penny penny Boone. he's 6'1 242 but what was weird Big about boy. him is that he doesn't look like it when he runs he looks like he's like about 210 so he runs pretty well. He's a bruiser, and um, which when you have a bruising running back, right, you want to get teams want to have a little misdirection. So they run two primary run schemes. They kind of do it all, but the two primary gap schemes they do uh, are just variations of counter. So you see a lot of GH counter, a lot of GT counter, and when you see the guard and tackle pulling, you see uh, Penny Boone pulling around like right behind them. It's it's never never good for the defense. Um, a couple games in a row, they named instead of naming an offensive player of the game, they named their O line both times. Love that. So they pride their team on just you know toughness and being physical. Um, then in the passing, then eventually too, like running game wise as well, they kind of go a little old school and they scored a couple of times on like on Veer and midline. So with this team, you're going to see wide zone, you're going to see counter, you're going to see uh you know qb draw so they kind of do it all when it comes to just running the ball you see it in different ways um then when it comes to the passing game the quarterback's pretty accurate um jake mentioned dash earlier and they do they do a few dash concepts um they love running sale and wide crawls whenever they're like on their whenever they're on a plus 40 you'll see them running you'll see like a wide cross concept and the guy's usually wide open usually right by their tight end and they get everybody involved. They have like their fullbacks involved, their tight ends involved, their receivers involved. The number one receiver has like nine touchdown catches so far. So he's off to a great start in six games. Um, pretty good team overall. And uh, you know, it's we're at we're in that part of part of the season where it's October, it's getting cold outside, which means usually with Maction happening, usually have a game on Tuesday night. So next Tuesday they have a game. So you know, if you're coaches, if you're wrapping up your Tuesday practice, check out check out uh, Toledo. You might learn a thing or two from them. Um, and once again, like I said earlier, they love getting everyone involved. They attack you so many different ways, and they're very efficient. Um, as Dan mentioned earlier, you know they're number ten most efficient offense in the nation. It's kind of a shocker coming from like a Mac a Mac team, right? When you think Mac, you're thinking spread the field, let let the ball rip. But this team is very balanced, and they pride themselves on that. It wouldn't shock me to end up as one of the best, you know, the top three, top two, maybe top one uh, group of five team. So wouldn't shock me if we were to see them uh, sneak into a uh, New Year's Six Bowl, uh, New Year's Six, New Year's Six Bowl game. So watch Toledo Rockets. Uh, watch, uh, check out how they're keeping things balanced, keeping things ro- rolling, and just being an efficient football team. No, I love it, man. I I think uh, it's it's about time we gave Mac the maximum love because I feel like with realignment, everybody kind of forgot about the Mac because they're just they're just doing their thing, and it feels like every year um, it's kind of a wide open league. Obviously, you obviously you have some front runners here and there, but Toledo seems to have kind of a stranglehold on it now. And Rashad, you had mentioned red zone efficiency. I mean. The one time they didn't score in the red zone was against Illinois. I think they fumbled maybe like down on the goal line. Yep. And they win that game against Illinois if they mm-hmm. punch it in. Uh, I think yep, they end up, up losing. 
ended up yep. losing by like three or something. Lost by two. Uh, they're up nineteen seven in the third quarter. Then totally. uh, Dequan threw that through that pick six. So it's like they were yeah. right there, right? No, and, I mean, uh, yeah, you're like they probably should have beaten Illinois. Um, and so you're thinking a team that you know is five and one, but could easily be six and zero oh, and has been pretty dominant. And if they can run through the MAC, you know, the 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 tough thing about the MAC, I think, is that. You're playing all these midweek games. Do you stub your toe here or there? Um, but man, they they seem they seem to be rocking and rolling. Obviously, anytime you got a run game like that and a quarterback who's mobile enough to, I feel like he's able to keep people honest too. Um, Daquan Finn, just with his with his legs, but then also to be efficient in the pass game. Um, I think Toledo is one that we should definitely keep an eye on and. Just an aside here, I know you know Rashad spent some time in Tampa, so he might have some insight as well. But uh, when it comes to Coach Robert Weiner, who's the co-OC quarterbacks coach there, I've had multiple college coaches tell me that one of the most impressive things they saw when they went and recruited Plant High School was that they had an off-season program that was essentially like football quarterback 101 that Robert Weiner took his kids through every, I want to say it was like every spring and summer. And if you wonder why they were so good at quarterback forever at Plant High School, obviously they had talented kids too, but I think he really taught the position well and like would take his quarterbacks. I think he maybe even called it QB school or it was something like that. I've had multiple college coaches tell me that it was like one of the most impressive um, things they'd seen a high school coach do. And so I've heard nothing but good things. Obviously, I've, I've personally never met him, but I had a college teammate who played for him. Um, and just kind of marveled at the the quality of coach that he was. So I think he's oh yeah, I think he's doing a pretty good job. And you may have some more insight on Coach Weiner from from your Tampa days. Yeah, so I, I met Coach Weiner back in 2016, and uh, he's a phenomenal football coach, English teacher, very very detailed, very thorough. And you're right, he does have QB school. Um, he spoke back in 2016 when I was at USF at our uh, at our coaches clinic we had there, and he spoke. Pretty much went through like the offseason program, what he does with his quarterbacks. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's, most quarterback, you know, like most coaches, right? They kind of go through like more technique. His is all like, what do you, what coverages do you see? How do you tag coverages? How do you run an offense? It's very more so the head knowledge. And it, it shows with his teams. He's always had good quarterback play, always had quarterback. And some, some quarterbacks he may have in, in years, he doesn't have like a guy who's going to like a deep, a big school. He'll have a guy who's, who does, does a decent job running their offense. And um thing about Plant High School in South Tampa is that you have people who legit will move to Tampa, move into that district so they can go be coached by Coach Wiener. Oh, for sure. And um yeah, and they and they do pretty well. I think the last I think back in twenty sixteen, they were last on the State Championship game, they lost to uh St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Thomas had, you know, twenty two guys go D one that year. While wow. Plant had some guys too. But, um, you know, Plant is a, you know, well-oiled machine when it comes to uh, high school football in Tampa. And usually college coaches, it's usually one of their first stops when they go to Tampa because of the foundation that Coach Wiener built. So it was great to see him go from Plant High School football, Plant head coach, to OC at Toledo. And it's not shocking that they have good quarterback play because it's part of his DNA as a coach. No, I, I love that. It's definitely something that I've kind of considered being a high school coach as well. It's like, man, that's a great idea. Like not just installing your offense, but kind of giving a more general overview of quarterback play. Um, obviously, a lot of the kids in Houston are going to private quarterback coaches and doing a lot of technique work on their own, but it's always helpful to have that 
extra set of eyes on the the football IQ piece of things, and I think he he obviously did a phenomenal job with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had you know probably ten different coaches tell me about that program. It was pretty impressive. All right, the third pick, the third overall pick of our uh, play callers club mid season play caller draft. We're we're starting with college, then we'll graduate to the NFL. I had a really hard time choosing because there's so many offenses that I've been impressed with uh, so far this season. Uh, But I think the theme of balance and efficiency really won the day. And so with my pick in our draft, I went with Michigan's Sharon Moore. They are fantastic on offense this year. Now, they came out of the gate a little slow. You may look at some of those scores and you're seeing they you know, they only scored 35 against UNLV and UNLV played pretty well. Turns out UNLV is a pretty good team this yeah. year. Um, and you're almost like, eh, are they that good? Are they overrated? You know, they're winning games convincingly, but then when they get to Big Ten play, they are hammering people. Um, and they're, the reason they're hammering people is. They start everything starts up front for them. That offensive line is a well-oiled machine. And what's been interesting for me in watching them and kind of seeing some of the explosiveness that they have in the run game, I was expecting a lot to see a lot of gap schemes. And maybe that's coming. Maybe that's on its way. Um, because obviously last year when you turn on the film, it's like they're running counter, they're doing all these things. Man, early in the season, they're just getting in 12 and 13 personnel. And running capped zone, it's kind of it's kind of duo-y a little bit. It's you know it'd be hard hard to say for sure, but whether it's duo or capped inside zone, and they're just cratering defensive lines with multiple tight ends, and they're just getting straight downhill in the run game. And when I look at Michigan on film, I'm like, you got Michigan, and I'm like, are they also maybe the Detroit Lions? <laughs> because physically they they built a bully in Michigan. The offensive line is stout. The tight ends are physical. The receivers are pretty physical and they have three running backs. So Blake Corum's back, kind of their bell cow back. And the way I would describe what Michigan's doing offensively right now is you could kind of look at the San Francisco 49ers a little bit in terms of like personnel, not necessarily scheme, but in terms of personnel. So you have Blake Corum, who is, you know, say he's your Christian McCaffrey. And then you have uh, Donovan Edwards, who's like their really explosive back who really broke out last year in the Ohio State game. He's kind of their like Debo Samuel kind of player. So he carries the ball, but he also catches the ball out of the backfield a ton. He's already got six, 16 receptions. He'll be a gadget player that they move around. Sometimes he's in the slot. Sometimes he's in the backfield. Sometimes he's the the main running back. And then if they ever get into some short yardage situations, they bring in a a big old boy. Um, I think his name is Khalil Mullings. Um, he's about two forty, and he's just a downhill dude. And so when you're able to mix in, first of all, all three of those backs, while they present a slightly different skill set, you know, Blake Corum's a little smaller, but he's compact and, and runs really tough. Uh, Donovan Edwards is probably the more explosive back. But it's interesting to see the way that they sprinkle touches and spread the ball out to all of these backs in pretty creative ways. 
And, you know, the pass game is not necessarily something that jumps off the page at you, but when you run the ball so effectively, the play-action stuff is really good. And I think their tight end, uh, Colson Loveland, is possibly a a first-round pick. and uh, He might be a sophomore right now, but he's trending toward first-round pick in my book. I know I'm not a draft guru by any means, but... He's about 6'5", 6'6", 250, moves really well. Like They'll throw the ball down the field to him. I saw him hit a double move on Minnesota. It actually went out in the uh, one-play-a-day daily email. They ran like a snag-and-go with, um, with the tight end. Like You, know, you don't see that. You, know, you don't see tight ends running snag-and-go wheels. Um, it was just incredible to have a kid that athletic in the pass game who's also able to come inside – and cap inside zone and just blast a defensive end. So it's just their their level of physicality to me is uh, unbelievable. And schematically, again, a lot of a lot of zone and probably duo concepts, play action, getting the ball to different players like again, balance is the name of the game right now. Their top receivers have 22 catches, 18 catches, 16 catches, 16 catches. So you have two receivers a tight end and a running back in that top four group. And the quarterback, JJ McCarthy, I haven't even talked about him yet, is competing completing, you know, 78% of his passes. And he adds a dimension of athleticism as well. This is kind of similar like to the Daquan Daquan Finn conversation. Is they're gonna hammer you and get downhill. And then JJ McCarthy can pull the ball and get the edge and so they're converting so many third downs because he's either doing it with his legs they're running the ball downhill or he's you know com- either completing a pass or extending a play and completing a pass and so i think for me it's like as a defense the first thing you got to do is you you have to load up the box and you have to match their interior strength and you have to probably play bigger personnel groupings you're playing base you have to play base and that means you're really opening yourself up to explosive plays from those running backs from jj mccarthy and then you know shot plays for the receivers as well so again i think uh it's interesting each of us we we didn't necessarily talk about this going in but it's interesting that each of us has kind of picked up on the efficiency piece of things and balance, but again, not it's not necessarily balance for balance's sake, right? Like, right, right, right. I think I think that's kind of the the misnomer. And and Mike Leach used to say this. Uh, rest in peace, Mike Leach said, you know, fifty percent run and fifty percent pass is fifty percent stupid. Uh, it was it was something like that, some quote, quote like that. And basically, his point was. The goal is to be efficient on offense, whether you throw it every play, run it every play. Like Mike Leach was on record saying that the wishbone was the, the greatest offense in football history and they never threw the ball. Right. And so I think it's a matter of like matching your sk- your skill set and playing the brand of football you want to play. Um, but I think, you know, the thing that impresses me most with Sharon Moore is the amount of confidence that they have in getting downhill in the run game because it's you just don't see it a ton in college football like i really feel like and i know jim harbaugh coaching the nfl for a while but this is like an nfl offense in not just in scheme but in stature 
And uh, I think, you know, that takes time to develop, time to build. And Sharon Moore obviously works with the offensive line, uh, has a has a big hand in that run game as well. And it just seems like all the pieces are kind of coming into place for Michigan right now. And even though they maybe started a little slow this season, you can see that offense is is very much an identity based offense. And uh, fun fact as well, I know we we may potentially talk about the Detroit Lions later on. That little flea flicker that Detroit ran last weekend. Michigan actually ran it a couple weeks earlier against uh, mm-hmm. Rutgers. So uh, keep, keep an eye on that. I think they, they do just enough tricky stuff to keep you honest, but they're not a gimmicky offense at all. They're a smash mouth offense. And, uh, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh, um, I think he wants to be able to go toe to toe with the Georgias and the Bamas and the SEC. And uh, I don't know if they're, it's hard to say right now. I don't know what kind of speed they have on that roster, but in terms of just pure physicality, uh, shoot, that's an offense you wouldn't want to play against if I'm, if I'm being honest. So. Yeah. To your, to your point about, you know, efficiency and balance being, you know, 50% or 50, 50. I think I can't, you know, I don't know if it's a saying or somebody said it or whatever, but you know, I think the best way to think about it is balance you're right, isn't 50-50, but it's being able to beat a defense in a variety of ways. Correct. And and not being one-dimensional, and I think all three of these offenses are able to do that, and that's what's, you know, Toledo's a little bit different just because, you know, they're not going to be in the national championship picture just because they're Toledo, but like Rashad said, they're trying to play themselves into, you know, like a New Year Six picture, and then you talk about the Oregons and the Michigans of the world, they will be able to put themselves in the national championship picture because, you know, they've got that balance on offense. And I, you know, I saw somebody say the other day, like, you know, people keep saying that you have to be able to run the ball to win a game. That's stupid because the numbers, you know, say otherwise. And I'm like, eh, I beg to differ. You yeah. have to, have, you know, you might not have to run the ball to win the game, but you have to you sure have to have the threat to run the ball to win the game. You know, right. that's, I know somehow, some way, I always turn the conversation towards A&M, but, you know, even going back <laughs> to their game the other day, it's like they were moving the ball pretty well in the first half because they were running the ball pretty well and they were keeping, like, this balance. And then all of a sudden in the second half, they weren't running the ball at all, and then you just saw Alabama's D-line pin their ears back. And it's like when they were able to just keep them at least a little bit honest and there was that balance a little bit, they moved the ball up and down the field on them. But the second it just became a one-dimensional pass attack and they were able to pin their ears back, whether it was rushing four or whether it was bringing the blitz, it's just like you, when you're playing a team of that talent and you start getting to, you know, late in the year, those new year six bowls, those college football playoff games, when you become one-dimensional, you're not going to win. So and that's, I mean, I can, think about I can think about agree. the TCU and Georgia game last year. TCU had a great running attack last year. They could not run the ball on Georgia, and it's just like that Georgia defense is going to eat you alive. So you've got to be you've got to be able to beat a team in a variety of ways, and at least present the opportunity to beat somebody, you know, in both ways. Yeah, and you're 100 percent right, Jake. I think. You know, this is a longer conversation that we can maybe have on another podcast, but I think a big reason that Georgia was and is so successful is because they're able to play 
they're able to defend the run with a light box, relatively speaking. Um, and they're just beating people up front. And so, you know, that's where that, that and then you have defensive balance, right? If like you don't have to commit extra numbers to stop the run, you can, you know, keep people in the secondary and you're still stopping the run, you're going to win games. Yeah. And so I can speak, you know, from experience as a play caller, one of the worst feelings in the world is to have a third and one and to not have confidence in your run game to convert a third and one or to be in a first and 10 situation and you can't take a load off your quarterback by letting him just hand the football off. And I I talk a lot with the, with quarterbacks about, you know, the importance of a brain break. Like every once in a while you need a play that you're not, you know, reading an RPO or, you know, checking at the line or, you know, whatever the case be may nothing be. nothing better than just getting the all outside zone. We're blocking it up, Paul, and you're just like, yes. <laughs> Thank I'm going to give a heck of a play fake here. Yes, yes. But it's, it's, it's kind of underrated, right? Like having that brain break where it's like we feel confident that this can be an efficient play. It's not a wasted play. Um, but we're not necessarily putting a huge load on the quarterback. And I remember even thinking back to last year, we had a very talented quarterback, obviously, who's still with us. But um, I put so much on Carson and Gordon's plate that I think he was pretty exhausted by the end of the season because it was like every single play he had to make us right. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes back to not being super efficient running the football, uh, which was a huge point of emphasis this season for us being more efficient running the football. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, no, you don't technically have to run the ball to win. But I will say later in the season, as the as the games grind on, having confidence in your run game is of utmost importance as a play caller, because that play card starts to look really small when your call sheet is you know trying to play chess with the defensive secondary and find the perfect you know cover three beater or read two beater it's like uh you know that's that's not necessarily a, a winning formula especially later in the season when people have film on you so yeah. no, i com- i completely agree with all that all right is it time for the nfl nfl time all right, well, we, we, we went pretty long on college, so we may have to try and buzz through NFL so we can get some sleep tonight. I know we're probably going to be up with, uh, up with kids early in the morning. I know I am. I've had a lot of early mornings lately with, uh, with my kids. So, um, you know, we'll try to get a little bit of sleep tonight. So who had the first pick of the NFL draft? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. Rashad, fire Ooh. away, baby. The Ooh. first pick of the midseason season. It's not even midseason, quarter season NFL yeah, quarter play season caller NFL. draft. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah, with the first pick of the quarter season NFL play callers draft, I went with a pretty easy pick. Um, they are becoming slowly becoming America's sweetheart this season to see how the season ends for them. Is your Detroit Lions mm. play caller Ben Johnson? I kind of cheated, y'all. I did a I did a Ben Johnson preview, you know, back yeah, in the summer. You sure did. Stop it. Stop it. Double dip. You've been, root, root, you've been rooting hard for these Lions. <laughs> a, little, a little double dip. It's more so I had some, like, you know, had some theories about them. Now I'm able to now have some proven, proven facts about them. Um, the Lions are playing loose and having fun. You know, they're number 10, 10 passing offense, five rushing offense. And what makes this team special, like I said previously in previous episodes, um, 
they're able to pretty much do it all when it comes to running the ball and passing the ball. And what I mean by doing it all running wise is like, you know, with their, with their gap scheme, with their zone scheme and the ability to be able to, um, have their best playmakers are alignment or alignment, right? Their best yeah. lineman is their center, Frank Ragnall, then their, you know, second best lineman, which is not seconds, like a disrespectful term to say, but it's just as good as Penny Sewell. So there's a few concepts that they run really well. Um, they love wide zone. They love their gap concepts. But what I've noticed a couple of times, I was watching the Falcons game earlier. Um, against the Falcons, what they like to do is have pretty much a lot of window dressing. And they'll have their run plays kind of be married to their passing game. I mean, yeah, Jared, Jared Golf will drop back and empty and throw like wide stick. But they really love having their run game uh, be married to their passing game with like play action shots. So, for example, they'll line up in 12 personnel and they'll have like bunch to the boundary. They'll send their full back, they'll send their tight end, um, same report into motion. And he would just line up uh, like attached to the attached to the, the right tackle. Then immediately they'll send Ahmad St. Ahmad St. Brown, Ahmad Ron St. Brown in motion, like a fly sweep motion. Then they'll send, then they will have wide zone to the boundary. And what happens to the linebackers, it kind of freezes up the linebackers like, wait, where's the strength now? Strength is to the field. Why are they going to back to the boundary? And it will do that a few times in the game. Then they will kind of marry that concept with a shot play. And what's cool about their shot play, they drafted Sam Laporte, I want to say, early early in the draft, but his past draft. And he's became a weapon to them. Because usually last year has been Amon, Amon Rossi Brown as like their deep shot guy, you know, doing vertical choice. You know, in, in the NFL, when it comes to vertical choice, in high school level, we do vertical choice like at 15 yards or like 20 yards if you're really lucky. But in NFL, they're doing vertical choice at 25, 30 yards, which is wild. Because the guys are so fast, they're able to get, able to get so deep. So once again, against the Falcons, they were on, on twelve personnel again, and they had two tight. They had both of their tight ends um, on the same side, and they did that wide zone action, and they did kind of like a Yankee concept that every team kind of runs with the po- big post and the cross. But instead of it being like a true post, it was a corner post with Sam Laporte and Jared Goff doing wide open by himself. It was wide open for a touchdown. So they're having some fun. They're just lighting things up. And um, one thing, I, like I mentioned before, I want to reiterate that they did, they still are still doing pretty well. So with having Jamar Gibbs at running back, what they will do is they'll line up in 21 personnel, but they'll go their fullback as a sidecar when it comes to running trips or um, having just uh, ace formation. But they'll put the running back in the tight end um, as the outside, rece- outside receiver options. Then they'll have the receivers in the slot going against the corners and run like smash concepts out of that. And they do some high school things in which whenever it's like an empty formation, they'll kind of be condensed, but they break the huddle really quick and they'll do like stick, they'll do stick slop, they'll do uh, some mesh concepts out of that. So what I love about their offense, every play is thought out, every play has a purpose, and it's and, – and Chef – and uh, I'm sorry, I keep calling him Chef Ben. <laughs> Chef Ben <laughs> is cooking right now. Love it. So as a play caller, you can't – I mean, you got to watch the lines. You got to watch what they're doing. And there's some things you could probably steal from them. One thing I definitely want to steal is just whenever they have a play they're really excited about, is they can break the huddle really quickly, line up in a second, they do turbo, they do turbo count, and they just go right at it. So um, definitely, definitely keep watching the Lions. They're having a lot of fun this season. And um, the play that you know Dan mentioned earlier with the reverse flea flicker, Michigan did run it. It was funny because I think the 49ers ran it later on that day. They sure then, did. Yep. Then you have um, 
They had uh, that snap between uh, Jared Goff's legs. That's a play they got from, from William Mary. One of the players mm. went to William Mary said they ran it a few years ago. So they're having a good time. So I would encourage any play caller listening to right now, it's just if you have a good line, you can do a lot when it comes to just passing and running. But also, like, embrace, you know, embrace uh, being balanced. And one last thing, too, is that, which I love seeing, was Amon, Amon Ron St. Brown, he gets after it in a blocking game. So whenever it's, like, he caps ends, which is wild to see no one receiver capping a defensive end. So that's why they're able to kind of be a very balanced offense because they have, they have, they have uh, receivers buying into the blocking, in which any good receiver, any receivers coach loves throwing their blocking. But you have a guy getting physical, you can do anything on offense. So check out the Detroit Lions if you haven't. They're currently 4-1, and one, and they're winning with motion, fly sweep, uh, orbit, Whatever it may be, they're gonna they're gonna make you freeze as a defense. Yeah, I would imagine Ben Johnson's gonna be an NFL head coach pretty soon. Here, would not oh, be yeah. surprised. But uh, yeah. I mean, shout out to him for uh, hanging in there for another year with the Lions and getting this thing rolling. Because I I never thought I'd say the Detroit Lions are fun to watch on offense, but here we are um, watching them every week and and breaking things down and i mean i think that the the muddle huddle stuff that you're talking about rashad where they break the huddle really quickly get to the line and get set and snap it really fast is is incredible and they do they do it to empty a lot which is Mm -hmm. again normally empties like almost like a slow motion thing that happens you see college teams will kind of use that sugar huddle muddle huddle get to the line fast turbo snap it for run plays, but the fact that they're turboing to pass plays is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's a definitely a trend to keep an eye on turboing to empty pass concepts and getting some easy completions out there before the defense can really get get set. So that's it's pretty awesome. All right, Jake. With the second pick of the NFL quarter season play caller draft, who you got? We've got the Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, boy. Former Dallas Cowboy. Former <laughs> Dallas Cowboy offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. He's also playing the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football this week. Little, it's going to be a big one. little revenge it's be a game. a big one. The Cowboys coming to Los Angeles with their In tail LA. in their legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, you know, I mean, I think – Kellen Moore is a pretty proven offensive coordinator in the league. Um, comes into an offense with a proven quarterback in the league, but I really, I really kind of wanted to kind of make some comparisons, you know, just to prove Kellen's stamp that he's had. You know, they've only played four games so far, so they're you know some teams have played five, um, so they're truly, I guess, technically a little less than a quarter way through the season since they're playing seventeen games now. So you got to take all these stats with a little bit of a grain of salt. But at the same time, he's only got one game with Austin Eckler under his belt so far, which I think I saw Austin Eckler said he's like 99% sure that he's going to be playing against the Cowboys this week. So, I mean, without his best playmaker on the team so far, Mike Williams, their ex receiver towards ACL, I think week three, you mm-hmm. know, so you take these stats with a grain of salt because they look better, but at the same time they could be looking even better if, you know, once they get Austin Eckler back in the fold and they kind of get things under control again um, 
after figuring things out with Mike Williams being hurt. Um, so just throwing out a little bit of stats. They're seventh in the NFL in points per game this year with 27.5. Last year they finished with 23 points per game. Um, they're fifth in the NFL in yards per game at 388 or 389, 269 pass, 120 rush. Last year they were only running for 89 yards per game, so they're up like 30 yards per game running the ball. Um, they're fifth in red zone TD percentage, and I made a little note to the side that Dallas is 28th because that's been like a very hot topic this year is how Dallas can't score in the red zone. Um, and it's funny back to Rashad's point, you know, talking about how he previewed um, Detroit early, you know, before the season and is now getting to pick Detroit again. One of my teams that I previewed was Dallas. And I remember talking about how they've got to be able to score in the red zone. And that's been their biggest issue. Now that wouldn't have mattered against the 49ers. Cause I don't think they ever made it to the red zone. <laughs> but um, That's definitely been their Achilles heel so far this year. And then my other team was the Broncos. I definitely wasn't picking them. Um, Yeah. So we'll get past that. Um, Their only area they're really struggling this in this year so far is third downs. They're, 39%, which is like 17th in the league, but they are converting 63% on fourth downs. So that's kind of, you know, back to your point a little bit earlier, Dan, sometimes when you've got that confidence to know that you are going to go for it on fourth down, your third down play calling might change a little bit. For sure. Yeah. Some of those situations were, you know, third and seven in the opponent's territory. Let's go get five so we can get to a fourth and two. Yeah. Something that so sometimes you got to take a little bit deeper dive into the you know because some of the other fourth down percentage teams were like 100 percent because they've gone for it like one time i think the chargers have gone for it like eight times on fourth down already so definitely some situations where they're you know getting into a comfortable comfortable position on fourth down and then going for it um Herbert so far in the year, he's 71% completion percentage, which would, if he were to stay that way for the rest of the year, would be like his highest by like, I think his second highest was like 67%. So this would be his first time being 70 plus. Um, He's got seven touchdowns to one interception. He's thrown 10 plus interceptions every year so far in his career. So, I mean, once again, only played four games, but he's only thrown one pick so far. So on pace for like four and a half. Um, which would be his best touchdown interception ratio. And then kind of back to what I was saying about Bo Nix earlier, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, is he checking it down? Is he throwing, you know, shorter passes or whatever? Well, he's at 7.6 yards per attempt this year, and he was at 6.7 last year, and has kind of been around, you know, that area for his entire career. I think he threw for like 5,000 yards or something like two years ago, and he was a little bit higher, but was still close. And then looking at – um the team as a whole, they're running the ball a lot better. They're at 4.2 yards per carry this year as opposed to 3.8 yards per carry last year. Last year they were like 30th in the league in yards per carry. And, you you know, once again, to our point of, yeah, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. The Chiefs aren't like some dominant rushing attack. But the Chiefs were still like top 20 in the league in rushing, and their right. yards per carry, you know, was higher than, you know, maybe what their – total per game was because they don't run the ball as much, but when they do run the ball, they run the ball efficiently. And so you're starting to see a little more of an efficient rushing attack, rushing attack with Kellen involved. And I think, I mean, week one, Eckler ran 16 carries, 117 yards for 7.3 yards per carry. So they've gone down a little bit since he's been hurt, 
And I think the scheme that they're wanting to run definitely fits his game a little bit more. So they've had a little bit of a hard time since he's been out. You can tell that, you know, it's, it's, and what I think has been the most impressive part of what Kellen's done so far is this is an extremely different skill set of an offense of Definitely. what he's got here compared to what he had in Dallas. And, you know, Dan, you've kind of mentioned this before, you know, so w- when we've talked about this with, you know, high school coaches or whatever, they're like, well, you know, I can't really go turn on an NFL offense and have that apply to, you know, my high school offense. And it's like, yes, you can go turn on the chargers. Cause I just watched every single one of their games and it looks like a high school college offense because they don't have a super strong, talented offensive line like the Cowboys did. Right. And they don't have they don't have a single really blocking tight end. So you're seeing a lot of spread formations, a lot of 10, 11 personnel, and their eleven personnel, most of the time they're tight ends getting out and passing concepts because he Ten really and can't half. block. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've about, all we've all been in ten and a half personnel a few times. Probably, we know that personally. We know about that. <laughs> probably the least physical tight end in the NFL, and it's almost an insult to other tight ends to call him, you know, a tight end. But he's you know doing the job he's supposed to do. But I think that's what's most impressive about what Kellen's done so far this year. And you're seeing a lot more zone scheme than he did. Um, in Dallas just because he doesn't really have that talent up front to, you know, pull guys and move guys around. But what he is doing to kind of be able to open up holes is he's using a lot of motion and he's using a lot of orbit motion and he's really allowing uh, Justin Herbert to kind of be a point guard a little bit with some RPOs. Um, And that's why their run pass numbers are a little bit skewed some games because, you know, I think against, um, the Vikings, he threw the ball like 40 something times and only ran it oh, yeah. like, you know, 10 or 15 times. But then they've I think also Brian like, Flores is bringing like seven guys every play. Yeah, though. exactly. <laughs> but, you know, he's he's sitting there dumping it, you know, out into the flats, arrow routes, bubble routes, stuff like totally, that. Totally, totally. You know, and they're they're blocking two for two out there and they've got Keenan Allen or uh, Quentin Johnston or, you know, whoever out in the open, you know, going one-on-one with a safety. Um, but they've also like week one, they ran it 40 times and they threw it 33 times, which was never happening in Justin Herbert's career. And, uh, week four, they ran it 37 times and they threw it 24 times. And I think, you know, back to your point, Dan, about just taking a load off the quarterback a little bit. Yeah. He's kind of having to read out some of these RPOs, but because Kellen is giving him so many of those motions, he's able to see and locate like, you know, his key defenders locate, you know, the box numbers. And it's like, okay, it's pretty obvious. This is going to be a handoff here or, Hey, I'm just going to get the ball out quick, you know, on a swing pass, a slant, a bubble, kind of whatever it is. Um, So I think he's just doing a really good job of keeping Justin comfortable kind of in that point guard role as far as like the RPOs go. And then, you know, he's given him a lot of like three by one and empty passing game where it's kind of like, you know, pick a side and roll with it. You know, if it's three by one, he's getting one high. It's, hey, go work that X receiver. If you're getting too high, okay, work my concept. Empty, it's like basically how can we get Keenan Allen the ball? <laughs> yeah, honestly. The dude, the dude is a monster and it's like let's put him in the slot, match him up on a linebacker. And if not, if you want to put that linebacker out on the running back, okay, we're going to throw it to the running back. So he's just it's, doing it's a really honestly. Good unbelievable it's i was just gonna say it's unbelievable 
seeing Keenan Allen's production mm-hmm. in this offense. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's more, I think more thought of as like kind of a crafty route runner than yep. like a dynamic uh, kind of explosive guy that you throw screens to, but they've thrown a bunch of screens to him. And I think the yeah. design has given him a chance to just be super efficient on those like really, bubble screens. It, really orbit screens. Reminds me, it reminds me a lot of how Devontae Adams was used back in Green Bay. For sure. Yeah. How much they moved him all over the field, you know, motioning a ton. Uh, you know, he's even Kellen's lined him up in the backfield a couple times for sure. Get, yeah. You know, those weird matchups for the defense. It's like, okay, are we going to have to pull a guy out of the secondary to go cover him? Or do we try to put a linebacker on him? You know, do we try to match him, you know, whatever. And so you're just, you're putting the defense in really weird situations when you're doing that. And you heard, I think, you know, the Monday night game um, with the Raiders the other day, Devonte was talking about, he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not ever going to get single covered. That's not going to happen, but we've got to find ways to get me the ball. Like I can't be getting four targets in a game. And you're seeing Kellen, you're seeing Kellen do that with Keenan Allen. It's, you know, he's getting nearly 10 to 15 targets a game. Cause it's like, this is our guy. We've got to find different ways to get him the ball. And that's, that's who makes Justin feel most comfortable. And then finally, when they give so much attention to it, it's like, okay, now I can go work my other guys. And so they're doing a really good job of just kind of, you know, giving him easy and then throwing in now that they're able to run the ball so well, the, the play action game has just, made life so much easier for them. You know, before it was like, once again, like we were talking about earlier, when you have no threat of the run, it's just everybody's going to sell out on your pass. And that's kind of what you would see happen to the Chargers later and later in the year, the past couple of years is everybody just figured out, okay, we can let them run the ball they want because that's not how they want to beat us. They want to beat us trying to throw the ball. And that's ultimately kind of what happened to them in the playoffs against Jacksonville last year. They got out by so many points. But they they weren't comfortable kind of going to that four minute offense running the game out. It's like, okay, we just gotta keep pushing the ball. And finally Jacksonville was just kind of able to create some turnovers on them. So I think kind of that, you know, once again to our theme of the night, that balance and efficiency that they're able to bring to their offense, I think, is really helping uh, Justin Herbert out. And then, you know, going back to the run game. You know, the variety of tempo that they're bringing, you know, they're speeding it up, they're slowing it down, you know, they'll get down to the 10-yard line or whatever, and all of a sudden they'll hit you with a tempo, they'll hit you with a quick header, you know, out to the outside, they'll hit you, you know, with, you'll, they'll be, the defense will be, you know, bringing on some new personnel or whatever, and they'll, you know, you'll catch, you'll catch the defense in a legal substitution, or they'll hit you, you know, with a guy out of a gap and gash you on inside zone, and I think that's really helping them. You know, when you talk about not really having the guys on the offensive line, not really having a blocking tight end, I think that's just what's so impressive about the job that Kellen's doing is the variety, you know, once again, just kind of that college style type offense that he's bringing, you know, the tempo, the different formations, the different looks, you know, kind of honestly what I was talking about with Oregon a little bit earlier, it's, it, you're really seeing a lot of the same things with, you know, a lot of the same plays, but just a lot of different looks being thrown at you and a lot of different, you know, speeds and tempos being thrown at you. So I'm really excited to see when they, I mean, not for my Cowboys sake, but for when they get Austin Eckler back this week, I think, you know, 
the potential is going to kind of be unlocked for them again because, you know, the Dolphins have kind of been, you know, minus the Lions, the darling of the NFL this year. Um, and they went toe-to-toe with them week one and lost 36-34, and they were moving the ball up and down the field on them. So I, I think once they get Eckler back in the fold, I know, you know, they started 0-2. It was kind of a tough start to the year. They've got Cowboys and Chiefs, you know, back-to-back coming up. It's not going to get any easier for them, but the offense definitely isn't the issue. I think, you know, they've kind of got some things on the defensive side that they've got to get figured out a little bit. But Kellen's doing a great job of, you know, keeping things together. I think he's really helped Justin mature um, as a quarterback. He's not just, you know, sitting back there as a gunslinger anymore. He's really thinking about it and processing things. And back to your point, Dan, it's not easy when you've got a first year coordinator in, but I think that relationship you can tell is already, you know, a a really solid one. No, for sure. For sure. It's, they're a fun team to watch offensively. Um, I think they, they do a lot of creative stuff that you're not necessarily seeing as many folks in the NFL doing. Um, They bring a lot of, a lot of different elements in. I think the way that they've pried Keenan Allen open so much in the past game has been incredible. I mean, 35 catches, through four games is unbelievable. And I think you're right about Eckler, right? Like their run game does not look the same without Austin Eckler in there. And I think his decisiveness, his physicality, um, and, and he's, he runs low to the ground and I think he just, he gets the job done in that offense. And you get, it's well, not, you can tell too with, with those, those zone schemes you're, they're running like that holes there, but the guys they've got, you know, behind them just aren't quick right. enough to hit it. And so, you know, when some of the short yardage stuff, those guys are doing a good job of, you know, putting their nose in there and going and getting the first down. But, you know, on some of like the first down runs, it's like, you can see it there. It's like, it's like kind of how Tony Pollard was in the Cowboys. Totally. Offense. Totally. You know, he just, he brought a whole new dimension to it. And, you know, he would hit that hole and he would be explosive. And so I just think, you know, Austin Eckler is just, you know, everybody knows how good he is, but I think everybody knows how good he is because of, you know, his fantasy football production and being able to catch the ball out of the backfield. But I think you're going to see so much more production out of Austin Eckler, the running back this year. Oh, 100%. He's a difference maker. Mm -hmm. And they've had to kind of manufacture a little bit of a run game. And I'm hoping what we see with him back in the lineup is more just being able to run your offense out of bait, you know, more base looks and, yep. and get production. Um, Cause they're, yeah, they're not totally getting it right now with, uh, you know, kind of their second and third running backs. Yep. Um, and, and it isn't Dallas, right? He doesn't have two tight ends and he can't, you know, run duo and just get downhill on people and take these yep. big play action shot plays. It does have to be, a little bit more of a horizontal passing attack to get vertical in the passing attack, which maybe didn't have to happen as much in Dallas um, just with the way that they were able to run the ball. But it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited to see what this, you know, I would imagine Dallas is going to bounce back this week, um, especially defensively. And uh, it'll be a good matchup. Good. Great. Finally get a good, uh, good Monday night matchup. That'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. We can hope. We can hope. So, you know, we've been through the the Lions. We've talked to Chargers. Um, I'm cheating a little bit, I guess, since you guys uh, you guys didn't take the obvious choice. I'll, I'll scoop up the obvious choice with the Dolphins <laughs> here. And we've been talking about 
um, using kind of this metric of EPA or expected points added um, to define uh, kind of offensive efficiency. And again, I'm I'm certainly not an analytical whiz or anything like that, but I think it is kind of a helpful thing to think about. And if you look at kind of the NFL EPA rankings, Miami's sitting atop number one, the Niners are number two, and then you've got the Bills, the Chiefs, the Chargers, Eagles, Seahawks, Lions. So, you know, we're we're kind of falling square in line with this efficiency, fellas. I mean, we were we got t- uh, all of our choices were top ten in EPA in college football. All of our choices are top ten in EPA in, in the NFL as well. So, it, I think it it says something. But in terms of the Miami Dolphins, um, I don't necessarily have a whole lot to say that hasn't already been said by people. Um, what Mike McDaniel is doing right now is outstanding, and it is in some senses revolutionizing the NFL game because he's using motions and personnel groupings that no one else previous to this year was using. Um, particularly that like escape motion or that out, out motion, quick out motion. Um, people hadn't really used that before, not in the way that he's used it. Um, and I think his, it's like he's got all the Shanahan run game elements, but he's he's layered in, you know, some of this crazy pass game stuff uh, that has just been been a lot of fun to watch. And obviously, when you have the elite speed that he has with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle on the edge, you you can get creative and you can get away with some stuff maybe that some of these other coaches can't get away with because they don't have the personnel. But that being said. One of my favorite features of this Dolphins offense is they will run the exact same play, but they will present it in such a wildly different way. Um, I can think back to uh, this past game that they they just played. Uh, they ran a tunnel screen. The first tunnel screen was to Jalen Waddle. The second tunnel screen was to Tyree Kill. And it was the exact same play. So the first time, they ran, they, they got in quads, empty quads, jet motion with the running back. They faked the sweep and threw the tunnel screen to Waddle, big explosive play, 25, 30 yards. And then later on, they have three by one with Tyree Kill in the wing set. They use that escape motion, exit motion out with him, and he comes right back and runs the tunnel screen. It's the exact same play. All of the mechanics are exactly the same, but the presentation to the defense is wildly different. And I think that's what's so exciting about the Dolphins is the concepts they're running are not necessarily groundbreaking, right? It's not something no one's ever run before, but they're presenting it in a way that very few people have ever seen before. And they have a real eye for making sure their personnel is where they need to be, when they need to be there. And he does such a good job of sprinkling the ball around to different players. Being able to run a tunnel screen to Jalen Waddle and a tunnel screen to Tyree Kill, present it in very different ways, but the, the one to Hill was like a 60-yarder, right? And, and it's just, at the end of the day, even in the NFL, I feel like we could say this to all the high school coaches listening, even in the NFL, KYP, know your personnel. Like, get the ball to your dudes, right? Like, even at the highest level, the teams that are most successful find ways to get their dudes the ball in creative ways. And seeing what they've assembled in Miami with the amount of speed on that roster 
Mostert's a track star. Tyreek Hill's a track star. Jalen Waddle's a track star. Uh, Devon Achan is a track star. They have so much speed. But I think one of the underrated features of that offense is they actually have a little bit of physicality too. The receivers block on the perimeter. The tight ends block. The fullback Alec Ingold is super underrated for all that he does. I know he's not going to get the the same kind of love that a Kyle Juszczyk gets in uh, San Francisco. But Alec Ingold is, I think, really smart, really physical, and very underrated as an athlete for all that he can do for them offensively. So when you see a team that can get an empty, being you know, 10 personnel empty, they can be in 21 personnel, they can be in 22, they can be in 12, they can mix all these personnel groupings and get the ball on the edge, run the ball up the middle, spray the ball all over the place. Um, it's just pretty incredible to watch. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when I, when I think back on a few years ago when everybody was kind of saying, you know, Tua, you know, his, maybe his time is up, right? He's just not talented enough. Same thing was said about Jared Goff. Maybe his time is up and, you know, he's not talented enough. Obviously, Matt Stafford came in and won a Super Bowl. And I'm not arguing that Jared Goff physically is as talented as, as uh, Matthew Stafford. That's obviously not true. But I think what we're seeing this year is some of the best offenses don't have the best quarterbacks, physically speaking. Brock Purdy, Tua Tungvaloa, uh Jared Goff. All these teams have incredibly efficient offenses with quarterbacks that you wouldn't necessarily say are you know, superstar level arm talent. And I think the biggest reason for that is you're seeing a schematic revolution in football. Um, you're seeing uh, more large personnel groupings with 12 and 21, and you're seeing complex run games and really well-designed run games. And you're seeing coordinators that are giving quarterbacks really friendly looks. I think Mike McDaniel's leading the charge on that. If you watch that Dallas game, Brock Purdy had some, he made some great plays, don't get me wrong. But it was like watching an orchestra when you saw Kyle Shanahan just absolutely dial up calls against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Um, and so I think, you know, it's a good time for play callers right now. I'll say that. Um, obviously, it's always about the players, but I think seeing these guys how they're able to get their players to execute at such a high level has been a lot of fun to watch and if you're if you're sitting there watching the NFL as a high school coach you may not be able to take everything but i think the thing you can take away is the creativity in getting your best player the football and i think the teams in the NFL that are struggling don't necessarily just have bad players it's that they struggle to get creative to, in ways to accentuate the skill sets of their best players. Um, and I think the best coordinators are doing, doing a masterful job of that. And they're also, they've got players that can do a lot of different things. They've got running backs who can catch. They've got receivers that can run and block. They've got tight ends who are Mr. Do-It-All. Uh, so anyway, that was, that was kind of my, my diatribe there. But I think... Uh, this is it's been fun, man. It's been fun to follow offensive football so far this year. College has been great. I feel like we've soaked up so much 
great stuff. The NFL has been awesome. This is probably the, the most I've followed the NFL um, in maybe in my life. Uh, I've always focused on college, but it's been fun. You guys have kind of pushed me to get get in the game a little bit more. And uh, I'm glad I have, man, because I've, I've found so many great ideas from from the NFL this season. That's for sure. Any uh, any parting wisdom before we, we sign off and, and get people on their way from uh, our, our inaugural play caller draft? I mean, I think I'd just say, I mean, one of the main reasons we started this was to be, you know, a resource for coaches to, you know, to point out things we're seeing, to point out trends we're seeing. And, you know, we're not the only ones, but just there's resources out there and there's innovation out there. There's creativity everywhere. Use it. Like, don't don't be the coach that's so stuck in your ways of I've always done it this way and this is how it's going to be like there's it's just there's too much out there to be that way and and kids want like kids want to be a part of that innovation too like they I remember when I was coaching like the kids all the time would come up to me and they're like do you know this Dan Casey guy do you see all these plays person <laughs> on Twitter or whatever like I mean and Obviously, not every single play you find on Twitter is going to fit your offense or whatever, but don't be afraid to, you know, layer your offense a little bit, add some, you know, creativity to your offense. Find just like we, you know, talked about multiple times today, run the same plays, but give it a little bit of a different look to confuse the defense a little bit. Just don't, don't be so. There's a lot of people out there that just want to be vanilla and say, if we just, you know, do it this way and execute it the right way, it should work every single time. It's just defensive. We talked about it's a good time to be a play caller, but defenses are also, they're doing their homework too. They're getting good, man. They're getting good. As good as it gets right now too. Like football, honestly, to me, is at, you know, a great point right now where I think, I mean, there's this great war going on between offense and defense and they're, you know, everyone's throwing shots at each other and it's, it, it, it normally seems like, you know, offense has it figured out for a year, then defense has it figured out for a year. I feel like it's happening like within the season now. Like, it literally is. Everybody's, everybody's getting so good at such a fast rate that people are figuring out things faster and faster that you've got to have answers now. And so if you just, you stick to what you do, you're going to get figured out what, whether it's at the beginning of the season or the end of the season. And you're probably not going to make it as far as you want to if you start getting figured out early. So take take whatever resource you can find, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. But don't be don't be the vanilla guy. <laughs> no vanilla, no vanilla. Don't don't be the vanilla vanilla latte coach. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, my my last words two twofold. One schematically, and one's just game management schematically. Uh, most coaches are kind of in midseason or heading towards end of the season. So um, you have your offense in, right? You you have your success. You know what you're good at. You know what you're bad at. So I encourage you coaches to definitely find ways to break some tendencies. Do uh, start working on your, if you haven't done it already, your midseason, quarter season, three-quarter season report. No matter depends where you're, where you're living. And uh, find ways to be creative when it comes to um, essentially installing the second, essentially installing your midseason offense at this point. Um, find ways to get the ball to your to your best players. Find creative ways to gain the ball to them in different ways. 
Um, I know coaches are probably dealing with just like we're dealing with our team, uh, injuries and different different situations yep. that you did not plan for. So find ways to get creative and also let your players in in that, in that process as well, because we're the ones coaching, right? But they're the ones executing on it. They're the ones actually doing it. And that's one thing that Mike Leach always said, RIP, was that he would say to his quarterbacks, like, you're the ones doing it. So, like, I'm going to have you call play certain drives because you're the ones actually doing it. So definitely um, find ways to schematically get your best players involved in new ways and uh, be inspired by Ben Johnson, be inspired by Michigan OC, be inspired by Will Stein, like be inspired by these guys, still a player two from them that you can um, to help your team win. Then the last thing was game management. Um, we all saw what happened with Miami uh, versus Georgia Tech. Um, uh, coaches, I definitely encourage you all to just have a kind of like a game management mindset when it comes to fourth quarter situations. Um, Got to be able to end, manage end of game situations. Um, Dan and I were in situations past Friday with the team, end up losing the game, end up losing the game by one point. Um, we were able to drop the ball down the field 51 seconds to go, but we had a really good dialogue about like having our five, six best plays ready, having just knowing who we wanted to get the ball to in those moments. So definitely, I encourage you coaches to definitely at this point in the season, right, we're at that point where every play matters, every point matters. So you got to be very smart when it comes to game management, knowing how many timeouts you have, knowing down and distance, as corny as it sounds. Like, this is something I just want to reiterate because end of game management is so important to me. I guess how you win games, right? So definitely want to encourage you to uh, be wise when it comes to knowing, not freeze up in those four quarter moments, right? Embrace the challenge. Be that wild person. That's how I am. I'm, I'm the crazy person that's like, oh, we're down by this many touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Let's roll. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. So, like find ways to have creative plans to execute in the fourth quarter in the game, because that's how you win championships. That's how you lose championships. Some, yeah. some coaches never played Madden and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> you need those reps, those, uh, those uh, gotta, game management reps in Madden. You gotta have it going through your head. You know? Telling you. I'm telling you. There's much time left. I know I can get the ball. <laughs> I can go score. I can get a stop. I can get the ball back. Exactly. Got to play more Madden, especially in the off season. <laughs> no, I, I agree with everything you guys said, and and I'll I'll close it out by just saying, like, man, football is fun. Like, I think it's easy to forget that, especially when you you take a loss or two throughout the season, and you know you start to, especially as a coach, like, I mean, I've been in these situations before where it's it's easy to feel wrapped up in it, and you get defined by your wins and your losses. And um, the best coaches I've ever been around. Um, didn't necessarily think in those terms. They were always thinking about ways that they could learn and improve. So don't rest on your losses. Don't dwell in your defeats. Like keep learning, improving, getting better. Not just for your your own sake, but for the sake of your players as well. And um, that's something I you know I struggle with every season. Where you know the the losses do hit me really hard, and sometimes it can be easy to forget that man football is fun. And whatever it takes to like rekindle that joy, whether it's, you know, watching a game on Sunday, taking a play and trying to get it installed on Monday um, or just just making the game fun for yourself and for your players is uh, so underrated, especially at this time of the year. Kind of the grind of the season gets gets to everybody. So find a way find a way to keep it fun because um, football at the end of the day is is literally the most fun game in the world. So uh, as always, we just appreciate you guys so much for tuning in and listening and supporting the podcast um we you know the way we think of it is is kind of like edutainment i guess you could say i know that's kind of cliche kind of cheesy but 
we want it to be entertaining. We want it to be fun, but we also want you guys to be able to learn some stuff too. So we're definitely going to do some more Q and A's and talk situational stuff, talk, uh, you know, all, all sorts of things that, um, we feel like will will benefit, uh, offensive play callers most. And, uh, yeah, we, we love the game and we're grateful we get to talk about it every week. As always, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back soon on the play college club. Victory is a great play call. 